people. This is Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. I have a very special guest with me right now. He actually got me into podcasting. I never thought I would be here at this particular moment today. Uh, Jay Clark is a car rental owner, a cell rental group, and investor. He has a bachelor's degree in communications from Olivet Nazarene University, ONU, located in Bourbonnais, Illinois. Bourbonnais, I think, Illinois. And he has agreed Bourbon, to do Bourbonnais. Oh, Bourbonnais? Yeah, Bourbonnais to be short. And he has agreed to do a one and a half hour interview with Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum. He lives in Chicago right now. And he's the creator of J. Clark, R-E-E-L, Real Mindset Podcast. He spends most of his time with his two kids and family, enjoys research in disruptive technologies, and has a passion for the advancement of lost African Americans. And I want to ask him <laughs> about those last two things because I'm not going to say And I don't know what the hell disruptive technologies are. And I may seem crazy for that. I don't know exactly what the advancement of lost African America is, but I'd love to hear about it from Jay. But let's just get started, man. You're in Chicago? Yeah, Chicago, really in the suburbs. So I'm about 30 minutes south of the city. And were you born and raised there? Nah, I was born and raised in Kankakee, actually. So that's about really? an hour. Yeah, that's about an hour south of the city. Um, okay. So that's my roots, you know what I'm saying? Small town, impacted by Chicago, influenced by Chicago, but landed in the middle for my first career type of deal. How long have you been living in Chicago itself? Chicago land has been two years for me. Um, okay. So I went, to, I went to college in my hometown, of course, and then right after school, Went to Indianapolis for a year, uh, moved back to my hometown for a couple of years and then ended up in the South suburbs. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I, I wanted to stay back in my hometown, but a lot of the opportunities that I were in, the business opportunities, uh, my lady was in school up here, working up here. So things just made sense to stay closer to the city. Okay. And so how, how would you describe like growing up for you as far as, um? finding yourself in this difficult world and very challenging and um, contradictory world? Man, you know, I grew up as a misfit. Anywho, I was a, I was a preacher kid. You know, my okay. dad's a pastor, so that was something I had to do. I'm a black kid in America. I'm a rebellious kid in America. So I was always a misfit and I wasn't very, I wasn't a very good student. So all my life, I always felt kind of out of place. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that naturally made me like being an underdog. I used to being an underdog. So, you know, that's why I fire my foot in that. I like being under pressure. I like, you know what I'm saying, being in the fire. That's when I seen it perform at my best. I like being against the odds. Um, so as far as just operating in the world throughout in the, in the free world, you know, all of that is <laughs> coming into my makeup. Um, I, I'm fearless, you know what I'm saying? Powerful. That's one of my sayings. Um, I love just get that. Through, man. Fearless, powerful. Yes, I love that. I like the way that rhymes. I, I, I like that philosophy. And um, so you you talked about ONU a little bit, and we'll get to that in a minute when we talk about HBCUs and just um, an experience at a, a predominantly white institution versus a historical black college and university. And because I'm not even making this up, a lot of people would ask me, Kiko, what is that acronym? They don't even know what it means. They don't know what mm. an HBCU is still. Mm. You know, it's kind of, you know, kind of like the whole thing with Juneteenth, like no one knew what that was. And it's, it's these cultural things, I think, that people take for granted. 
that a lot of people just don't, they had never been introduced to it because they haven't had a, a, a need for it to yeah. be introduced to them because they've been able to go along the protocol system that's already set up, you know? And so that's a problem I have with just the word university is because when you talk about um, a Morgan State University, a Tennessee State University, a Jackson State University, a Clark and Atlanta University, those are the black schools, but we don't say that when we talk about University of Illinois, Chicago, those are legitimizes automatically universities, which translates into white schools or universities and black schools are different than white universities. What do you, what's your whole, um, I guess, experience in um, ONU, how do you feel and how would you segue that into um, how that affected your mind growing up as a kid when it came to that decision going to college? Yeah, and I, I keep it a buck. I didn't know what a PWI was until okay. I went to ONU. I had heard HBCU, you know, throughout my life, but I hadn't heard the phrase PWI until I went to a PWI. So oh, wow. you don't know if they don't know PWI is a predominantly white institution. You know what I'm saying? So I had no idea of that terminology until I was directly in the environment. Um, and something one of my close friends always reminds me of is we got to be conscious of our own echo chamber. So if you don't if the people around you aren't using that type of language terminology, it may just be so far outside of your realm that you've never heard it before. So for example, I wouldn't be upset at a white person who never heard of HBCU. Like that's not something that they chopping up about at Thanksgiving, you know what I'm saying, about HBCUs. <laughs> but honestly, you know, like throughout my experience, I hate to be this way, but it seems like the HBCU versus PWI, the D1 versus D2, it all comes down to money and power at the end of the day. Um, I, I support HBCUs and I like to see, for example, our top athletes go to HBCUs. And I like that that, you know, wave is starting to really come about, really starting to come to reality. Because if you really look at the history of the PWIs and the popularity that they garnish, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s and so forth. Mm -hmm. It was all based on black people. You know, it was all based on sports. The most popular schools in the country are known for what? Sports, you know, mm -hmm. aside from the Princeton's of the world and stuff like that. But we're talking LSU, USC, University of Miami, University of Alabama, like Florida State. Look at who really built up these schools and programs to the mm -hmm. point that they're national, you know, spotlight type of brands at this point, not just colleges. We're talking about brands that like people look to and see as superior and this and that but you got to look at where all that was spurred from you know that wasn't spurred from people getting straight a's and necessarily even going to start businesses at a lot of these schools this was spurred from sports this was spurred from basketball this was spurred from football mm -hmm. and as soon as they saw that the tv ratings and the media ratings in that in those eras of 70s 80s 90s when they saw the impact that black people had through sports and entertainment then they started letting us in those schools so with the reawakening these days people getting back into hbcus you know we're bringing that that glamour back to where it needs to be Deion sanders what are you doing at jackson state mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying that that type of media attention is what we garnish and it seems like it's actually coming back home now which is good which is great and who is um hugh jackson's down the gremlin is yeah and um eddie yeah. george is at tennessee state mm -hmm. so so it's yeah. definitely becoming the trend and um i'm I, I sort of find myself in this situation now being on the job market as a professor of foreign languages 
I'm actually looking at the historical black colleges first before I even explored the PWIs because um, based on my negative experiences that I've had at UT Knoxville, University of Tennessee Knoxville, Middle Tennessee State University was a lot different for me. I got my first two degrees at Middle Tennessee State University mm-hmm. and it was integrated enough to where I could find myself. And I felt like my um, I could be comfortable within my own skin all the time and I could discuss anything politically and then not have ramifications on my development. I felt like at UT it was different. I felt like if I said the wrong shit, that it would have ramifications on my career at UT as a PhD student and a master's student. So mm. I feel like we have to navigate those things a little bit more, especially when you're socially conscious and when your ideas aren't necessarily mainstream, I feel like you do have to tiptoe more um, because the university is a hierarchy at the end of the day, it's a structure. It's a political structure. Yeah. And if you don't fall in line with that political structure, I feel like you can face issues. Mm-hmm. That's just that's, that, that's what I feel. I don't know how you feel about that. It's very similar to the corporate world, too. There's mm. and it's it's you know, it's a thing to like I I try to challenge people, especially my age or younger, the more rebellious, because I, I am that I was that. So the more rebellious people who see like all oh, these institutions don't want us there. They want to change us. We don't fit. They want us to conform. It's like when you rewind it back, ultimately, this, these are their institutions. So, you know, we can come in with the mindset of they should fit us or they should cater to us or we should feel more comfortable. But at the end of the day, you're walking at somebody else's house, sitting at their table and trying to set the menu. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you got to eat what they give you. It's that it's their crib. It's their table. They dictate what goes on around there. So either get in or get left. Um, that's why I love to see the impact of us coming back to the HBCUs, um, mm-hmm. you know, where we have a little more control, a little more freedom to be ourselves. But if we're going to go the route of going to high school, going to the PWI, going to the most popular school in your state, going to get jobs in their industries, going to get jobs in their companies, then what can we really be upset about when things ain't going our way? Um, I'm, I'm a big, big ownership, you know what I'm saying? Big ownership preacher, big control preacher. And not that it's about ownership, control, power, but I would rather be on that side of pursuing that than accepting what people give us and waiting at the table and wanting handouts, you know, that type of mindset. Mm-hmm. Just how to make a choice, how to pick a lane to, to go with. I guess my response to that, and I'm actually going to have um, Jared Ball. I don't know if you're familiar, familiar with Jared Ball. He um he works with Black Power Media. Um, he is a professor um, of Africana Studies at Morgan State University in Baltimore. Okay. And he he'll be on in a few weeks, and I brought you on too as a way to sort of show different sides of the whole HBCU debate because it is becoming the thing where um, even non-Black people the enrollment is really high now for HBCUs, mm. and um. Jared Ball's book, I'm actually going to um, bring it up here because it is real, what we're talking about. It's called The Myth and Propaganda of Black Buying Power. And so it's going to kind of go into things we're talking about today. Um, and I think you can see it from several different ways. I, I, I think my issue, I would describe myself as an anti-capitalist. Mm. And what I mean by that is, I don't, I, that's not to say that people can't make their money. That's not what that is. It's simply... 
Um, I don't agree with the idea that that money itself should dictate power. I feel like not having money shouldn't be a disqualifier of, of not having power. I think you can have power without money. And I think that's where influence comes into play because our experiences contribute to that system. I mean, I don't think you can have rich people without working class people working for the rich people. And I get what you're saying. It's um, you have to have someone working for that system. But I guess the question is, where do we find the balance to where the people who are actually running the system, who's really running the system? Is it the worker or is it the person who's hiring the worker? Mm. How do those workers not have any power in themselves? I guess would be my question to that. You talk about the university structure. I think about the hip hop industry. You talk a lot about the hip hop industry and look at how it's been co-opted by white people. I mean, look at the, the moguls that run hip hop now and the, at least commercial hip hop. I don't know about the underground scene, but what do you think about that situation where the black people started out with this amazing cultural experience and we shared ourselves with the world, but look at how it's been commercialized into this multi-billion dollar, multi-trillion dollar industry yeah. under the name of Geffen or whatever, Interscope or whatever it may be. Man, that's a lot. That's a lot to unpack. I ain't gonna lie to you. Um, I wrote down a couple of things though, as far as you being an anti-capitalist, I would say I'm more of a capitalist, to be honest. So that okay, might be different, no, that's different fine, views yeah. we have on that. Um, and I agree with you that money shouldn't be, money shouldn't be the ultimate source of power. And I don't, I don't believe it is, to be quite honest with you. Okay. Um, I think we get wrapped up in that, where money is only one of the five true components of power. And this is something I live by. Um, so we're talking currency, if we're talking resources, money does fall into that category mm -hmm. but so does knowledge so does relationships so does time um so does your health you know what i'm saying so money is just one resource you can accumulate a ton of money and do things with it do great things with it impact people with it um relationships i don't think i mentioned that but you can also accumulate a ton of relationships mm -hmm. you can also accumulate a ton of knowledge you can accumulate a ton of time you can accumulate great health and those four things as well can have a huge impact on yourself and your environment. So I, I am more of the mindset of a capitalist, but I don't believe capitalism is only based on money. It's also based on your knowledge, your relationships, your time, the mm. other resources that you can garnish. You know what I'm saying? So mm. capitalism is real, but the type of resources that you pull from is just a big impact they can make. Now, as far mm. as the rap industry, the rap industry is another way. At the top, it is controlled by the money and they control a lot of what we see. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I don't have any type of firm evidence on this, but this is just what I've seen throughout the years. They choose who they put on the mm -hmm. forefront. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. it's almost like who's gonna sign the deal to be the character that we need next. Like, I truly look at the rap industry like the WWE, man. Like, <laughs> like for real, like these are all characters, man. And when you, you spoke on the underground, the underground isn't ruled by money necessarily. The underground is more ruled by relationships, you know, knowledge from a musical standpoint, lyrics, you know, impact, actual, what are you talking about? What audience are you, are you catering to? The issues that we see with the underground, right? especially amongst the youth, the very influential youth, um, mm -hmm. the gullible youth, I would say, those people at the <laughs> top who are controlling the scene, right? This both on the male side and the female side. On the male side, you got them talking about death, destruction, um, self-harm, self-hurt, disrespecting our women on the male side. Mm 
And on the women's side, you got all you got is I don't know how how vulgar we can get. All we got is Dude, my Pete. This is how Pete goes for him, man. You, you can know, be I, yeah. Uh, let your wings fly out. <laughs> look, they all they all selling themselves on the women's side. They all selling themselves for you know what. But from the underground, where you get that the walk. issue is, you know what I'm saying. The why we had a whole episode, whole episode on that. But when you see the people in the industry at the top, you know what I'm saying, being put on for on front street for this type of behavior, for this type of topic and subject matter. The people from the underground that see that think that that's the way to get to the top, but mm. that's not the only way to get to the top. You can be authentic. You can talk about shit that matters. You can talk about real, impactful, positive, forward-thinking, you know what I'm saying, topics, or you can talk about the bullshit. You got two mm. routes to go, um, and it just depends on who's going to be true to self and who's going to be gullible to the industry. Because mm-hmm. ten years ago, it was Nicki Minaj and. You saw a big, let's get into it. You saw a big bisexual breakout among the among the women. It was Nicki Minaj back then. Nicki mm-hmm. would, I don't know who was the first to get the BBLs and stuff, but Nicki was involved in that way. Now you got all the women wanted BBLs. And I don't, bro, I don't know what how many women are gonna hear this, but amongst black circles, amongst black men, we've always loved the black female body. We've always loved the black woman's body. Mm-hmm. The homie's not liking the BBLs. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. The BBLs get laughed at. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you 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 had to clear some of these things up, just the terminologies for, because I have a lot of different audience members who may not uh, understand. Okay, okay, okay. I, mean, I get you. No, no, you good. I mean, we can code and stuff, but I'm just saying, there's a lot of. I use a lot of I use a lot of acronyms, and that, that's good. I'm that's younger good. generation, but BBL. The, I don't even know what it stands for. What does BBL even stand for? But it's, it's the butt. It's the butt surgery. It's the butt mm-hmm. surgery. All the girls getting the butt surgery. Exactly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The fake booties popping up, this and that. But <laughs> men don't. Men don't like it. You know, the men in my group chats where all the real information happens. We're laughing at that type of stuff, man. Like, yeah. But wh- where's that? Where does that come from? The um where does the need to do that come from? What do you think that is from? Is that pressure from industry? It's absolute pressure from the industry. And it starts with the hip hop industry, man. Like when it comes to music, hip hop to me, and this is just my understanding of how I've seen it. Hip hop to me is the industry. Rap is the art form. Hip hop is the media. That's the, that's the glamour. That's what they put out to the public and try to control narratives with. Rap is the original art form, the poetry, the music, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So the media gets a lot of people confused on what is and what isn't. You got all of these rapper girls and rapper wives getting BBL surgeries and people think <laughs> that that's popular and cool to get butt surgeries. It's just plastic surgery at the end of the day, but people getting all of this stuff thinking it's cool, it's hip, it's what's up. Men aren't wifing that, you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, women, women do that. The woman, the woman my age and younger or slightly older than me are getting these surgeries <laughs> and really thinking that they're, that they're raising their value on the on the marital and dating market. That is so far from the truth, man. Like, mm. that is so far from the truth. You're not going to go get a fake, a fake ass, hop back on the dating scene as a completely new person and expect things to... I don't know, and it is, it's going to be challenging for a lot of people to hear, but that's just no, not realistic. But, but see, not but, realistic. What I, but what I'm trying to tell you, but see, that goes into my whole thing with capitalism. And I'm going to, um, because that's kind of a, this is kind of like a base of this forum, Kiko's Freethinkers Forum. Um, it's not to bash people who don't think like we do, per se, mm-hmm. but it's simply, to, it's an anti-establishment 
network to show people that there are other possibilities. And I believe that we've been played for so over time, we've been played so much and we're getting played more than ever today. I don't think you can separate capitalism from the decisions that people have to make to conform to that system. And I, I'm not here to say that capitalism is going to die tomorrow. I'm not saying that. Capitalism is here to stay for a long, long time, unfortunately. The version of capitalism that we have is unsustainable, in my opinion. It's unsustainable. And I think before you and I are gone out off of this earth and everyone else, I think that there's going to be an uprising that's going to do something about that. That's my personal opinion, because it's not going to keep going this way when when the, the way homelessness is now, the way people, um, the gap is just widening between the class structure, that system is not sustainable because you already see that um, mentality in the labor market. You can see people are tired of working shitty menial jobs. They are. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a generational thing or what. Um, it's not my issue with the making money thing is that the Jay-Z type people bother me a little bit. Those kind of people bother me because it's different. Jay-Z, you, make- you said Jay-Z? Jay-Z, Jay-Z, Jay-Z like uh, Life, Jay-Z, yeah. Okay. Marcy Projects, Jay-Z, because those kind of people, I get it, that's a, a, a concrete to the rose, to the richest story, and I commend him for that, for getting out of poverty and stuff. But I think black people are so caught up and people in general are too caught up in that. That can be me next. No, motherfucker, that is not you next. There's only going to be one Jay-Z, okay? Uh, and, but the problem that I have with people like that is then they tell you how to vote. Go vote every two years or whatever. These are the same people who have influenced their power with these same business endeavors but where we become just more extended products of their endeavors mm-hmm. they're making their money but we they can only make money based on if we support them or not you know for their next business venture or not but how's that business venture helping you know the poor people out i know they do things like charitable stuff but politically that's a contradiction to me you can't give money to a community and then at the same time advocate for a system that goes against that community's objectives. When you talk about um, just the whole system itself, the way people think, because they don't tell you that you, you can't think this way. They tell you you can think the way you want, but we see what happened with Kaepernick. We see what happens when you go too far and then you have everyone else that comes in line. I feel like Jay-Z is a person, he's all of a sudden become the black business spokesperson for black America. Just like Al Sharpton is the black spokesperson for political black America. Why we we seem to be the only group that has a handful of motherfuckers where they seem to represent the whole group, or at least the media projects it that way and weaponizes it to where they represent the whole group of us. And and that's what I guess my issue would be with Jay-Z. And it's not even Jay-Z's fault per se, it's just the way the system props him up now. And he's just visible all the time. It's about the black power couple, him and, and Beyonce, but how many people can realistically be that? Yeah, and it's it's the rags to riches thing. We, we know where Hope started at. We know where Jay-Z started at. And because of where they put him at, people see him as almost the end goal in a way. So a lot of people take rap as a way, as a means to get there, or they'll take the streets as a means to get there. Let's be honest, that's where he started at. 
Hove is ultimately a businessman. He is a capitalist. So when he saw that there was need for drugs and he could get access to them, he provided the drugs, whether it was right or wrong. When he saw there was a need for rap and he could provide that, he did that. When he saw there was a need for businesses and he could provide that, he did that. But it doesn't make it necessarily right. And the one spot mentality is what shoots us in the foot. And the craziest part about a lot of this, right? We tell our kids now, you know, conscious people will tell your kids, don't get so wrapped up in playing football. Don't get so wrapped up in playing basketball. There's only a certain number of spots in the league. There's 32 NFL teams, preseason 75 players per roster. Regular season, I believe, is 53. There's mm -hmm. 30 NBA teams, full rosters 15, playing day rosters 12. That's about, I think, 2,500 in the NFL. I can't think of the NBA number, but it's like 1,200, 1,500. 1,200, yeah. So at least it's broad, you know. Can we name 4,000 rappers? You know, can we name 5,000 rappers? <laughs> Hell no. So what are we really pushing to people that there's so many people rapping, but it's a high risk, low reward business. It's a high mm -hmm. risk, low reward adventure, opportunity. What's really, what's really the end goal of being a rapper? Are you going to be Jay-Z or are you going to end up shot and dead in the street? Are you going to end up broke as hell? Are you going to end up in jail because you're following the bullshit that the media is putting out at the top? Mm -hmm. What's really the end goal of rap? Like, there's only right. five, six rappers that are relevant and everyone's trying to be them. Five, there's five or six slots that, they, that the media has put out there as mm -hmm. these are the rappers that are on the force scene. But we got millions upon millions upon millions of black young Americans pursuing that same dream. The numbers just don't make sense. Mm. I mean. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. It's just, um, it's a struggle that I have because and the NBA is the same thing as these predominantly black leagues, or at least the players are, are more black, not necessarily the ownership. It's um, they do this shit all the time. They basically say, in a low key way, we're we're a Democrat Party organization. We funnel money for the Democratic Party, mm -hmm. and some other leagues may be we funnel money to the Republican Party. You know, I don't know. It may be NASCAR or whatever the hell it is. I don't do people not see that connection between the power structure and the the product that they're watching on the television. Do they not see that connection? Because I that's what I haven't thought about that. I haven't thought about that myself. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's just like I like LeBron. I love LeBron James, but I don't want the motherfucker represent me politically because I'm not LeBron James. I'm Kiko and you're mm. Jay Clark. It's like, why do we put so much stock into these people when it comes to our lives? We're working class people grinding every day. Why do we fucking care what Taylor Swift says? I mean, I don't, I mean, I have nothing fucking common with her. Why do I care what LeBron says? Why do I care what Olivia Rodrigo says? Why the fuck do I care what Ariana Grande says? Like, why do people put so much stock into what these celebrities? That's what I'm saying. It's not that they can't just listen to the music. They believe these motherfuckers politically and all that. It's like there's like no sort of pushback. I can't hear you. No, I was trying to, I was actually trying to get a quick, I was trying to phone a friend. There's a, <laughs> I was trying to phone a friend. There's, I can't think of a political figure. She's not even a politician, but she's a black lady. She's married to a white man. Um, and she recently went on air with Candace Owens, I got I, my yeah. friend phoned me. My friend phoned me, Candace <laughs> Owens. So she recently went into with DJ Academic. She did an interview with him. 
uncut, off the cuff, all real, all authentic. I loved it. But one of the things she spoke on that I was very passionate about during Joe Biden's run at presidency, we know what he said. If if you if you black, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. We know I mean, that. You're not black man, you are. You know. We know that bar, but <laughs> this man, this man in his administration had the audacity, the audacity, a slap in the face to me and everybody who looks like me, the audacity to go grab Cardi B, Cardi B as mm -hmm. a representative of the black culture, the black mm -hmm. community, and did an interview with her. Mm -hmm. Cardi B, dog. So these are the type of people that we're putting on the front scene to represent our culture. There mm -hmm. is no culture, man. If she's representing black culture in America, there is no culture. You know, mm -hmm. straight up, like, and that goes back to the intro. That goes back to lost blacks of Africa. Like, we are a lost, a lost community. We're a lost family in this nation. Mm -hmm. Now, you can get free. That's a, that's an individual individual choice. Um, is the whole entire community, the whole entire body of people, going to one day wake up and be free and move forward progressively together? Probably not realistic, but as an individual, you have the power to take back what's yours. And that's through knowledge, understanding, research, experience, knowing where you came from, you know, following the most high stand in your word and doing the things you need to do to, to really get attached to the spirit. But we can't we can't let Cardi B, Cardi B be the representative of, of black people, yet alone black women. We can't let like, anyone you know, be a representative. That's what that's my point. There we is no let, yeah. We can't let Jay-Z or any of these people, but I mean none of them. It's just um, but that's what that's what I'm saying. We why are people that weak to where they have to look up to people? Like, what makes you think that these people have credentials to tell you how to dictate your situation? And that's why I go back to again, it's a class issue because it's um the professors that I deal with. It's like they're all it's like we're all in a club and I'm not I'm in that club, but my mind is not in the club with them because they the people that they're trying to reach. They say that they're trying to reach the black people, the LGBTQ people, the poor people. They mm. say that in print when they publish these articles, but they're really talking to just an elite class of people in that academic space. And I feel like it's the same thing with all this stuff we're talking about. The commercialization of images. I don't. Mm. It all. I don't think you can be Ooh, relevant. A, I don't. I've think never heard. Can, that's that's so true. The commercialization of images is literally the BBL movement. I'm just put that in, in the yeah, pharmaceutical. The pharmaceutical. They're making a lot of money off of it. Say that. Much. I don't think you can be. I don't think you can be a person that visible and be threatening to the system, and they allow you to be a part of that system. I think they have to take you out. That's why. I'm skeptical of anyone. I'm even not skeptical of people like Cornell West, people mm. who are supposed to be these um, civil rights giants advocates. And I know some of my listeners may be caught off guard by that, but even to the left or the right, it doesn't matter if it's Candace Owens or Cornell West or any of these people. I just think we have to question people who at a certain point get so big. And I'm saying to myself, are people really allowing them to get their voice to amplify like that? You talking about Kanye? Kanye? No, no, I'm talking about Cornell West. Um, Cornell he's a scholar. West. He's an activist. Um, you know, he he he's advocated for for black rights for a long, long time. Yeah, think of you. You've heard of Angela Davis. You to be a Black Panther. Yeah. These kind of people now are almost tamed compared to the way they used to be. 
back in the day when they were in the streets. But I understand they're older now. They're not going to have the same energy like they used to. Mm. But they are, um, they're visible now, but they're accepted by the status quo now when they were shit on 30 years ago. So why are they all of a sudden accepted now by the power brokers? That's what makes me question them. It's like, because to me, if you're, you're not a threat, if they allow you to get in the system, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. To me, the fact that Jay-Z is so big means that he's really not a threat to anything but just growing the capitalistic system more and nobody else that's going to combat that system is really going to, I mean, he's, he's part of it to the point where he's done his work and he's not a threat to anyone else. As long as they make their money, they're fine. But when it comes to actual power to working class people, Jay-Z's almost disconnected from that now, I feel. But I don't know. I may be yeah. completely wrong and rambling, but. It's, it's like it's like it's like leading leading pigs to the slaughter type of deal. And I yeah, I understand your viewpoint where if they're allowing him to stay in that type of power, then he's aiding what they're doing in a way. Like it's what like, would Tupac be like now if Tupac was still alive, I guess. And historically, historically, no matter how big you get as a black man in America, as soon as you threaten what they got going on, ousted. Whether oh that's God, your power yeah. come, your comeback, your visibility comes back, or you may be, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Guantanamo Bay. You, know what I mean? but <laughs> you never know, bro. Um, Jay-Z is in a, I could see, I could see what your mindset on that. I don't agree with it completely. Right. Um, I know that's your boy, like, hub, like, that's your guy. Yeah, like, oh, my boy, boy know, you know what I mean? I know. And, and, and it's not even, I have nothing personal against Jay-Z. It's just, it's more the symbolism. It's yeah. just like Obama. It's the same thing. It's not even, I don't hate Barack Obama or hate Jay-Z. I just don't like the way the image is used. And I don't know if they realize the effects that they have on people because they're leading these people to this false sense of like empowerment when they're really not empowering anybody, I don't think. I'm with I'm with anybody who's building their own table. I say that much. Okay. Hope Hope has some capitalistic type of conquering conqueror type of you know what i'm saying traits and characteristics but i would rather align my mindset this is me personally we are all individual i'd rather align my mindset with a hope than someone who's just waiting for handouts you know what i'm saying oh i guess I'm, okay. I'm i'm going to make the table for for myself and my family i'm going to have mm -hmm. to make the table i don't want to sit at the table because i want to i want to make the rules you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. i want to control the agenda i want things to be in my favor for my people and my family and my community that mm -hmm. I do, I truly do. So anything I can do to establish that, I tend to, I tend to align with it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you asked, you asked the question, how can we, how can we let the media dictate? You know what I'm saying? What we do, how we feel? It's because we don't know who the hell we are. You know, and that's that's where the freedom comes from, and that's the individual choice. When you get the knowledge and the understanding of who you are, this media can't tell you to go get a damn surgery to make your ass bigger. It can't tell you to go rap like this, go talk about destruction and killing people in your community because mm. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't click. It's not It's not going to resonate with you where you can stand on something, where you have principles. Like, if we let the media tell us exactly how to think, what to do, how to speak to our own people, it's because we don't know how ourselves. And that's where mm. it starts. It starts with the knowledge, the education, the realization. And to be, to be alive, to wake up, you have to realize at some point that you're sleeping dead. You know, you have to really 
really intake, like look yourself in the mirror. Like you have to really consider, are you alive? Are you making choices in life? Are you making decisions for yourself and for your family? Or are you truly being impacted by everything around you? Mm-hmm. And not just the media, not just the media. We talking about your job. We talking about the people around you affecting your emotions. We talking about keep it a buck. Someone's need to pursue a, a degree, a title, a, a position, a, a position in, in politics. Like mm-hmm. I'm a person who I've had, I never even spoke about this publicly, but I've had groups from my hometown, um, people in politics in my hometown wanted me to take that step into that realm. I've had aldermen from the town I live in, from the neighborhood I live in, wanted me to take that step in politics and be more involved in that realm. And I just never, I never saw a fit for it, man. Like I said, I'm a misfit. I'm, my pops is a, is a fraternity, you know. Um, I've had all types of people come at me and want to attach me to certain communities and whatnot, but I just see it all as a bunch of bullshit, if I'm being honest, man. Mm-hmm. Let's keep a bunch of bullshit. Like I'd rather be an individual and just stand on principles that I've learned from the most high stay in my word, not get attached to all this human galore and glitz and glamour and how you should be, how you shouldn't be. Like, I can't listen to someone who doesn't even know who they are themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, you, if you're influenced by the exterior, why am I going to listen to you about who I should be? <laughs> you, you don't even know who you are, so how can you tell mm-hmm. me who I should be? You know, I just... I do, yeah. I do like that idea with the individual. Um, see, that's the thing, too, where... I, the collective thought versus the individual thought, you have to be your own person at the end of the day. Um, And it's a tough, it's a tough um, situation. It takes a lot of courage to find who you are as a person, especially when you come from, um, you know, maybe not necessarily an encouraging environment. And um, I'm not saying that you come from that environment or myself. It's just, um, I, I think it's the psyche of some of the average people that we're talking about now is that stereotype that these people are just going with what the flow is, you know, the, the new trend or whatever that is. Um, I had some questions about the local, you know, politics in your area and stuff. I kind of mm-hmm. lost my train of thought. I knew I wanted to talk about before I got to the local politics area. You have, um, we discussed this in your podcast in um, a few years ago about how we were both kind of um, outsiders in a sense that um, we both agree that this political uh, structure that's here now um, with the two-party system is absolute bogus. Like, I I think me and you came to that conclusion. I'm wondering how did you come to your conclusion? Like, how did you kind of get that thought process, you know, from a different perspective? And I got my perspective too. How did we both come to that decision? Yeah, the simplest phrase I can use is, both wings on the same bird. They they talk about left wing, right wing, and blue and red. Like, (laughs) these all come from the same makeup, you know? And first of all, the the Declaration of Independence was written in 1776. 1776, and this is the document that we are still going off of. If a business business had existed for 200 something years and they were still going off the original business plan with no innovation, what are we talking about? You know, and then and then as far as our social and political structure, I use this I use this phrase all the time, but this this analogy all the time. 
everything that we discuss when it's built on brittle ground, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a business, whether it's a building, a house, if it doesn't have solid foundation, eventually we know that it's going to crumble. So we are on the foundation of a, a document that was written in 1776 when we weren't even seen as human beings. Mm-hmm. And we're still, we're still operating off of this document. And people wonder why our mindset and our psyche is all messed up. Like we aren't, that document was not written for us. We all know this and we're still operating under it. It's like, mm-hmm. you just, people are just sheeps and just like going through the flow and kind of just acting like things are okay. The, the USA is acting like things are okay. Like everything's going to be okay. We can come out of this. We can bounce back from this, make America great again. <laughs> the shit was never set up right in the first place. So, you know, there's the people who are going to look at it and be like, oh, this is America. Everything is great. But then there's when people look at it like, yo, let's look at the reality of the situation. The shit was never set up right. We never had equality. We still don't have equality. And the gap is getting wider, you know? Yeah. The gap is just getting wider. So we got a lot of work to do, man. We we really do, man. Um, And, and maybe it's just that simple i wish a lot man i tell you what i wish a lot of people thought like you jay quark when it came to that um two wings on the same bird it's just um these motherfuckers are really just fighting to um they're fighting just to justify i guess their bullshit like they have no principles i I honestly most of my friends identify with these wings Mm. and i'm saying to myself okay tell me your principles like what are your principles going in and we tend to agree on some of the same stuff, but it's, it's never consistent because just like what happened, um, I was on a friend last night with the Gaza, um, Israel situation, you know, Palestine. I mean, the way the Palestinians are getting bombarded just all the time. Um, but the media is talking about Russia and Ukraine. It's just, um, both of these parties, fund the wars they fund the Mm. war operations Mm. they fund the crooked pharmaceutical industry and then Mm. and then they wonder why so many goddamn people were concerned it wasn't just mega trump people worried about the vax people like me a lot of black people worried about you that weren't a fucking democratic republican but they make it seem like just the trump retards were the only people who were against the VAX and that's bullshit completely. But see, that's how people, when you get programmed to think that only a certain group of people think a certain way, that's how you get fucked and you get duped. And I'm telling people, a lot of people are against the establishment, this system, it needs some work, some serious work, the police system. This is a police state we're living under right now. And both of these parties, what did they do? They get more money to the police, they get more money to the military. And that's what, that's how I kind of came to my conclusion that these are the same two people, you know, regardless of this shit. Oh, I love black people. I hate black people. All that shit. The culture shit is like, whatever. But these, it's like, if you can't even agree with these four things, that tells me that both of y'all are full of shit. Yeah, man. I don't, the political structure is, is screwed, man. It's, it's, it's is messed up and what's the most unfortunate part about the whole thing to kind of wrap up the at least the political structure i see it falling completely apart than ever coming together i don't 
you know, things happen in, in, in nations and in history, you know, as things evolve. I don't see the United States of America existing for another hundred years. Oh, I really God. don't. Hell no. I, I would say hell no. Um, I don't think it's realistic at all. I do see some type of political upheaval, revolt type of situation where there's going to be a split. If there's if there's 50 states in the United States in a oh. hundred years, I would be very surprised, very surprised. It was California seceding, Texas seceding, whether they split it up east and west, whether there's 50 individual colonies, the, the organized colonies of America, I don't know, but the United States of America never existed. That phrase is bullshit. The United <laughs> States of America, when have all 50 states been on the same page? You And you you never lying. Just bullshit. the way this state has completely different voting rules than this one. You're right. The fucking bullshit electoral voting system. But they shame the hell out of you if you don't vote, or if you don't vote for that team. And it's it's not even set up universally. So why, if the, the whole thing seems like it's just a complete rigging charade, it's just... Yeah. Um, they're going to do what they want to do anyway. It's like, yeah. does it really matter at the end of the day? Like, it's I smoke screen. Get what you say. <laughs> it's a smoke screen, man. United States of America, should, it's laughable. It's honestly laughable. Who do y'all got up there now um, in Chicago? Is it Lightfoot? She's the mayor? Yeah, Lightfoot. Uh, tell me a little bit about um, Chicago. What's his? I've always been conflicted by Chicago, man. My whole introduction mm. to Chicago, I'm not even going to lie. I've been up there about six times. And... I think about baseball when I think of Chicago and I hate the Chicago Cubs, not because I don't like white people, but every white person that I've ever met in my life has only been a Chicago Cubs fan. <laughs> I've always said to myself, God damn, don't they have the White Sox in the same city? Is it or White Sox just the black team and the Cubs the white team? That's kind of the perception I get. Like, am I off on that? Nah, and that's that's actually true. It's it's true. Most most Cubs fans that you meet will be white folks. Most Sox will be black <laughs> folks. And it comes from the, what's the word? It's just, it's a geography, it's a geography thing to be realistic. The White Sox stadium is on the South side. The Cubs okay. stadium is on the North side in Wrigleyville. The, yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying? The makeup is different. And where the Cubs stadium is, Wrigleyville is a very um, prominent area. I was up, you know what I'm saying? Upscale, mm -hmm. downtown, near the lake you know, very commercialized, whereas the South side is where we were pushed to. <laughs> and the uh -huh. stadium that was built there was more so probably, I don't know the, the, the specifics on it, but it probably was very cheap land and they, you know, it made sense to build it right there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where kind of that, you know, split comes from. I think at least the origins of it. And over time, you know, the Sox are in this neighborhood, the Cubs are in that neighborhood and the fan base just grew from that. It's just weird as hell because I know the Cubs, or big down here because they used to always show the Cubs games on WGN and mm. the people in Tennessee would get the Chicago WGN network. We would get that. So they will always show the Cubs games. Like I kind of get why my friends here like um, the Cubs, but I'm white people everywhere. It's like, dude, what the fuck is, I mean, those motherfuckers, they suck for like a hundred years. And I'm like, do you still cheer for those sorry bastards? <laughs> and it, it just, I always wonder why did they care so much about the Cubs, you know? But I guess that makes a little bit more sense geographically. Maybe it's that simple. Going to this whole notion of the South Side, though, what is the South Side of Chicago? Is it yeah. because it's portrayed one way in the news? How is it really to you from your vantage point? 
Um, that's that's so deep. And I I'm not I'm not I didn't grow up in Chicago. I don't want to get checked by my homies. I got <laughs> most most of my homies are from Chicago at this point. That speaks on a daily basis, and we we talk about the city. You know what I'm saying? I know the city. I'm plugged with the city, but the South Side is split up. You know what I'm saying? You got the South Side. Let's say the '60s through the through the '90s. I say I ain't gonna mention specific streets. Then you got the wild hunters. You got the hunters that lead up to the suburbs. So between the hundreds and the streets up until about the '60s, it's a lot of stuff going on. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, Chicago is built up in pockets where you can have a neighborhood, a block that's very nice, very well kept. You know what I'm saying? Nice, renovated, upkept properties. They may have been gentrified over the last 20 years or so, but you have those pockets and streets that are nice. You might go two blocks over and things are a little rougher over there. There might be a couple of shootings over there every other week or so. So when you in Chicago, you just have to know where you are. Like not just the not just the neighborhood you are, but the streets you are. Um, the media maybe overplays it, but I can't act like there's not violence in Chicago. I used to try to kind of play, play, I'll say God's advocate. I don't like to use the words devil's advocate. Shout out 19 keys, but I play God's advocate <laughs> in the past where it's like, oh, there's not as much violence in Chicago as portrayed. But truthfully, realistically, there is violence in Chicago, you know, because there's a lack of resources in certain areas, neighborhoods, and communities. When you strip away high schools from a neighborhood and kids got to travel 20 minutes to go to school, historically in Chicago, where you're closing down entire schools, public schools, and kids had to travel to go to school, some kids ain't going to make it, you know? Some kids ain't mm-hmm. going to make it to school, and they're going to resort to the street. So mm-hmm. my thing with these type of conversations is, yes, there's violence, there's turmoil, even in my hometown, man, even in Kankakee, which is, at this point, baby Chicago. Like, And when I say baby Chicago, there's people from my hometown who pursue that type of image, you know, pursue that type of street galore image. And I'm not saying it in a positive way. I'm saying we're baby Chicago, where we're a small pocket of people, where there's just a ton of violence and hate and turmoil. But in the same breath, when you strip away resources from a people, when there's no, you know, path to the future, there's no positive outlook on where they can go. They don't have the things in the echo chamber that they can build and make their own table. They have to accept what they're given. People mm-hmm. just gonna, it's it's a certain click. It's like the mind is so powerful, man. When you feel like the world is against you and you ain't got no resources, no way to go forward, you just you turn into an animal. You act like a savage, you know. You know, different than a, a wolf in the wild or a wolf in a wild, a lion in a wild, or a deer in a wild, a deer in headlights where you don't even know what to do. You just running around with nervous energy and anxiety with cars flashing in the headlights figuratively, you know what I'm saying? That you really resort to a wild animal and it's the wild at that point. You either a deer, you a lion, you know what I'm saying? You a rat, you a snake. You're taking away real consciousness from people and turning them into animals. And then we can only behave like that. And what, so, what do you think is the biggest um, contributor to that um this i guess demoralizing and to the demise of people it's the idea that you can't succeed ultimately it's it's the fear it's the fear that you can't succeed in ultimately this capitalist society um it's the fear of, of, of missing out the fear of being left out that 
there's only one spot, that there's only one Jay-Z, there's only one LeBron James. If I can't right, be right. him, then I have to resort to the bullshit. It's like, mm-hmm. we got to just open up our mind. Um, and, yeah. and we'll, let me circle back to the intro again. Um, something I wrote in the little bio, I spoke about disruptive industries. And that's something I love to research, just future industries that are going to be impacted. We can even talk about, I don't want to go too deep into it, but even like robots, man, like robots are, are real people want to joke about the shit like oh there's people being replaced in artificial jobs art ai and stuff like that mm-hmm. but this this stuff is real people are going to have oh, robots yeah. in their houses like cars like oh yeah i use tesla for example because we're in the robot realm when teslas mm-hmm. first came out you know you saw them in spots you'll see them here you'll see them there you'll see them on tv maybe in a movie but now you start to see more and more and more and more to the point where tesla is is starting to be a very normal car you know it's a very normal thing in the auto industry that's going to be the same with robots i mean hell the cars are the robots aren't they realistically (laughs) people people are going to be taking out loans to buy these robots that can improve their life you know if a robot is washing your dishes you know i'm saying i know this is far-fetched for some people but if a robot is washing your dishes, folding your clothes, and vacuuming your floor, that's that's going to start to come into reality. Um, mm-hmm. So when I when I speak of disruptive industries, though, and I know that's far fetched when we get all the way to AI, all the way to robots, but I wanted to take it there to show people what's really happening. We got to. There's nothing wrong with barbershops. I love my barber. I got two. That's solid. I've had two people cut my hair the last eight years. I won't go away from them. I love my barbershops. I love my beauty salons. I love my chicken spots. I love my I love my my natural oils and, and all that stuff. But when we go into opportunity, when we go into business, when we go to make the table, we have to think bigger. We have to think bigger. If we're really going to start making an impact and being free, and this is about making tables, that's just all I can think of. That's all I can speak on myself is about making businesses where we're not sitting and begging for acceptance and likeness and please be nice to me please do things my way when we're starting to make these tables we just have to think bigger you know open up our minds to different industries different types of businesses um different locations of businesses you don't always have to open in the hood when you're pursuing your your own individual freedom i'm from kankakee you know i will do business in kankakee i would love to do business in kankakee i would love to have real estate in kankakee but I can also have real estate in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. There's other ways to get involved to set your own self free so you can help impact your community further. You don't have to do it the way that you've always been taught to do it. Just think a little broader. Like There's so many opportunities out here. And this mm-hmm. all relates to, to disrupting industries. There's so many, so many, so many opportunities out here. And we just got to stop getting wrapped up in what we've seen in the past and just Get a little more creative, you know. Just get a little more, more innovative. Creative. Yeah, definitely, definitely. No, um, innovation is uh, that tends to be that seems to be the way we're headed. Um, it's um, it's inevitable because, especially I think after the early '90s when the tech boom really took off, it's all it's just continued ever since then. Um, the explosion of Apple and and all these multinational companies. Um, I mean, and two, let me, furthermore, furthermore, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a young, I'm a, I'm a young brother, man. And I've, I've studied, I've studied our people 
to a point where I'm starting to gather knowledge where I'm confidently speaking about this stuff publicly. We are two generations removed from if the slave owner caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. You know what I'm saying? So it's deeper than the surface. It's deeper than the surface. This stuff is psychologically embedded in us, our blood. Like we are two generations removed from the slave master caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. So even when you do learn something progressive, it's hard to speak on it. There's mm. fear involved. Oh, if I if I say this, people might get offended. If people aren't ready to move that you're trying to impact, they may take offense to it. So it's like, even when you learn knowledge that you want to share, sometimes there's fear involved in that. Do I want to speak on that now? Do I want to speak on that on this platform? Who am mm. I going to offend with this type of notion and behavior? Because mm. in the past, when you spoke on certain things, there were there, there was recommendation to it. There was punishment to it, you know? So the slave owner caught you learning, they cut your tongue out. Like that's, that's not, that shouldn't be taken lightly. That's still in our blood. That's still in our psyche. And we got to shake that like immediately. <laughs> no, it, should, it shouldn't be accepted. You know, I want to get back to that notion about us being two or three generations removed from um, servitude. Or are we still continuing the servitude just in different ways? Um, it's, I was thinking about the whole, this censorship age that we're into now. Uh, I, I think the internet has become, I, me personally, I believe that the internet is a public utility. I think it's a tool for everybody. Um, if you have enough people on it, I mean, it seems like everyone these days has internet access mm. and it's almost like, it's the speaker's corner, you know, because they have a speaker's corner in the UK where people can just go up and debate and have conversations with people in an open square. Well, I feel like the internet is that open square. Now, everyone goes, everyone has something to say on the internet now, it seems like. Yeah. Um, I do get the, the people who say that these are private companies, though. They can tell you what to say. They can tell you what not to say. But I mean, it's getting out of control now, man. Like, I, they took down one of my videos yesterday. You know, I, I knew you saw my mm, post on there. I seen it, seen it, yeah. And I'm just like, dude, I, I just started this podcast six weeks ago. Like, I, I'm not a threat, you know? I don't think I am. Mm. So, but but they're doing that to a lot of these independent channels to where you have to codify words a certain way. You can't say things just out and about. And I'm just like, why is that? Um, like why is that such a big deal you know why can't people express themselves and i don't know i don't know how you feel about that it's the it's the it's the table thing man i ain't gonna lie like when i saw it when i saw your post uh, when i saw your post i was like well what do you think i said it is their platform you know what i'm saying so it's like i feel it I feel it because I've been impacted by that through social media channels where I'll speak on something rash or I'll make a post rash and they're picking up on this stuff. Like they, they're tracking our audio. When you upload a video to YouTube, they're tracking your audio for words and taking inscriptions and seeing what you're saying. So they don't, they don't want you to talk about certain stuff. So they'll simply won't allow you to get the spotlight to do so mm -hmm. until you make your own platform until you, until you have your own, audio platform where you can put out the information and send that directly to your audience, we have to abide by the rules. And there's terms and conditions that we agree to that nobody reads typically. 
<laughs> that mm-hmm. I, that give them the right to do so. So unless we're speaking on our own platform, mm-hmm. we can't we can't really you know what I'm saying be upset with the with the ramifications that we face. Um, that's that's truly how I feel, and I'm a I'm a victim of it too. Where mm-hmm. I don't even like to, I don't even we post on Facebook. Yeah. Self-censorship. I don't even post on Facebook anymore because it's like, mm-hmm. I, my thoughts, my thought, and even that this is live on Facebook right now. My thoughts don't align with a majority of the people on Facebook, or even maybe they do, but they don't align with the algorithm of Facebook, where the information that I speak on isn't allowed to be shared on that platform and i know that i don't even necessarily promote my podcast on facebook because i know that the topics i discuss don't align with what facebook wants people to see Mm -hmm. and the people who are stuck on facebook unconsciously align with that mindset anywho like Mm -hmm. (laughs) if facebook tells you to vote for so-and-so more than likely you're going to vote for so-and-so people on Mm -hmm. facebook ask for politics the first one you see is the one that's going to be stuck in your head. So it's mm-hmm. like, it, it's it's their platform. I could never be upset or even surprised at being removed because I know how I am. And I know that I'm disaligned with what they got going on. Same here. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, I, I get, I get that. It's just, um, I just think it's, uh, I think it's a thin line. Um, because considering that YouTube and Google are basically the same company, YouTube, has contracts with the government and um like which makes, I said, them, the, which makes them the government which <laughs> but see that, which is um again there's no there's no stopping it once that happens once that merge happens um the consequences could be catastrophic and um you know hopefully they don't get too catastrophic but i, I knew what was going to happen with that i, I was shocked that, that that video was taken down but that's why I don't promote YouTube because of that reason. Because YouTube and Twitter are the worst. Facebook yeah. is a close third, and so that's why um, I know that people are fucking with Rogan with the Spotify shit. But the, I fuck with Spotify because at least um, they will tag you with the CV19 if you talk about the the virus or anything. Like they will sometimes put a disclaimer up, but for the most part, mm-hmm. they're not going to just throttle your views and your clicks and your plays visibility but but youtube is is slick fucking with everybody's visibility and stuff like they're taking people's streams and stuff off and i think that's some bullshit like personally like if you're gonna do it do it but don't be fucking that sly about it you know what i'm saying but like you said it's that platform but they have contracts with the government and what's public anymore what's private anymore it's just like i don't know it, i feel like it's just a constant moving situation like it's never consistent you know and i just i just need just tell me the rules straight up motherfucker and i'll follow the rules but and i'll go outside of the parameters if i have to you know in other ways but you know if, if you have a rule you know set the rule but don't have this ambiguous community guidelines and it's like what the fuck is that you know Let's be. Hey, I, let's, I, I don't know. Let's be real. It's it's like driving while black. You know, <laughs> uh, you make a. Let's say you in the neighborhood. You in the neighborhood turning right, and there's a cop at the stop sign to your right. You might speed through that stop sign and not come to a full stop. You catch eye contact with them, and when I'm 
in my head, I'm in a white neighborhood. You catch eye, eye contact with him as a white, a young white boy, he might let you slide by. You catch eye contact with him as a young black boy, you probably gonna get pulled over. Like there's mm. certain things that are allowed by certain people that aren't allowed by the others. You know, mm -hmm. you might get a slap on the wrist. A slap on the wrist for a young white boy might be a night in jail for a young black boy. There's just Jamal and Jamal and Jack don't get the same type of treatment. <laughs> Jamal and Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's a different setup, man. And I can only be real, bro. <laughs> only be real with it. Man, I want to talk a little bit about um not a little bit. I want to talk. I do want to get some into your Jay Clark. You got about a half hour? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. free, man. Yeah. I want to talk some about Jay Clark real mindset. I knew you said you didn't want to talk about your podcast per se, but I feel like it's my um like it's my honor to be with you right now. Like you got me into this whole space like i i never would have done podcasting if it wasn't for you because and, and really bruce jackson um who's a family member of yours like he he told me that you guys um weren't really in touch a whole lot but you guys were related you know blood related yeah. and um that's how i got you know my foot into the podcasting thing you know on the cusp of the george floyd mm -hmm. protest and Breonna taylor everything else because I wouldn't be doing this and maybe I wouldn't have discovered myself more. I, I definitely felt like this last two years, two and a half years, I've broken out of my shell even more than I had before. Mm. Um, what is J. Clark Grill mindset? Um, what's been sort of the metamorphosis of that project? What has it become compared to what it was when it first started? That's an awesome, an awesome question. Um, so as you know, when I actually started my podcasting journey as Undefeated Bears, I was a uh, I was those sports podcast, oh, and it wow. was you know I was I was hype on the season that year. We had a, the little roster we were formulating, and I had speaking ability, um, and it was something I was passionate about. So I put together a small podcast, and it had a little following, um, something I didn't even appreciate at the time. And I just really I, was, I mean I was recording on my phone. I was working fifty hours a week. I'm literally recording like as I'm driving around at work and like stitching it together after work, just uploading it, just really, just really hobbyish type of deal, just talking about football. Um, but when I started Black Voice, that was actually in response to the George Voice, uh, the George Floyd situation. Um, I was emotionally impacted by that. I watched the full video, I seen just the impact that it had on myself, my community, my family. And that spurred me to speak more on the political realm, on the activist realm. Over time, I started getting challenges from people, from Black people. And it wasn't like all at once. It was just maybe once every other month, someone would say something I didn't like how it sounded. And I didn't want to be pinned to any type of political outlook, mindset, position on a topic because I was black. I didn't want to have to- Is that to, what you were getting from them? Yeah, and I, I didn't want to have to represent uh, the whole community or have individuals feel like that's what I was trying to do. You know, the black voice was made as a platform to give black people to speak originally about the impact that George Floyd had on them. And it evolved into a platform for people to speak as themselves outside of their traditional work environment. 
I wanted to hear from the secretary and the challenges she faces with being a black secretary in a corporate environment. I wanted to talk to the corporate manager that's a black corporate manager in that environment, the black doctor, the black dentist, the black preacher. I wanted to talk to all of these different type of people and get their perspective on being black in the spaces that they're in to open up more younger black people's minds to being in those spaces. You know, we can still succeed in those spaces, but there's challenges that come with it. This is what they are. So that's what the Black Voices true vision was. And maybe publicly, I never did a great job of explaining that. I didn't really know what I was doing. But over time, I just wanted to drop that. Um, so J. Clark Real Mindset really came out of me being my true self, my true authentic. I don't have to pin myself to this political issue or speak on this current event or have to go this way because of who I'm representing. I'm only representing myself at the end of the day. Um, and I, I do I do hold on to, I have an impact on people around me, man. Um, I see myself as a mentor. I'm growing as a mentor, uh, attaching myself to higher mentors so I can do a better service to the people who are following me. And people, people attach to my mindset. You know what I'm saying? It's not I'm not the best looking dude. You know, I'm not loaded with money. My oh, don't say that, man. Come on, dude. I'm, I'm saying I, I'm hard on yourself, man. I'm <laughs> a, I, ain't, I, ain't, I ain't no Giselle, <laughs> but I, I, I do my thing. But, you know, I, I'm not just some public figure, per se. People attaching me because of the way I think and how I express mm -hmm. myself. Um, so that's where the mindset portion came of it. And the real was like really a play on words. You know, real is a popular right now in social media, but um, it's really the R-E-A-L. I can only be myself, authentic, true to myself. I ain't, I ain't getting paid by nobody. I'm not sponsored by nobody. I don't have to speak. I'm not under a corporate umbrella anymore. You know what I'm saying? So it's just about being myself um, and being authentic to who I am. To some Damn, you don't even have an anchor sponsorship? Nah, man. Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I ran with that motherfucker, man. Once they said that shit under the money. Oh, the little, all oh, the little, the little, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know that. The little anchor but, but, I mean, but you still independent. I mean, I still consider myself an independent podcast. Just like, yeah. you know, it's not like we have this big ass production company, yeah. you know, running stuff with us. You talk with your brother on there too? Yeah. That's the, that's, oh, man. And that, those are the dopest conversations I have. I ain't gonna lie because I, I got into the podcast space before I even knew I could succeed in it or knew I could do it consistently. And being able to bring my brother on who neither one of us are really public, you know what I'm saying? Um, neither one of us really like crave for that public attention or public allure. We just are at the point, we had this conversation in his office at his agency where we have so much to share and so much value to add that we have a responsibility to do so. So being able to have a platform to bring him on to have just in-depth conversations on our journey and our goals and our challenges that we overcame, like that's the dopest experience I've had in podcasts and in media. Like we haven't recorded in a couple of weeks, which is a long time for us, but those are the most impactful conversations I even have because I learned from my brother and as little bro, for me, I'm able to share with him and he learns from me. Like, that's what it's all about. And we're able to put those conversations out in the public realm on top of that. So mm -hmm. it's just a win. It's a win-win all around. Uh, once I get big bro on the line. Oh, yeah, man. That's a win-win. Yeah, I've been listening to your episodes and 
I just love the way you guys are so casual. Like, you have something with, there's a bunch of people in there with you. Like, are those just like some of your friends? You guys and, are like hanging out on a couch and just like chopping it up about different uh, stuff. You mean, um, that's a uh, real nonsense. Yeah, to... what is that? Yeah, that's uh, that's me and my boy JC, uh, my boy Ruben. We actually did a, we were doing, we were going pretty strong for about a year. Uh, my boy JC actually moved to Los Angeles. Shout out to him. He's doing his thing out there in music. But that's just, uh, JC, me and John Carr, shout out to him. We have very similar mantras where we go against the grain a lot. You know what I'm saying? We speak our mind. Um, we don't necessarily side with the public opinion for better or worse. A lot of the time it's checking our own people like, hey, let's not throw stones at this person or let's support this person. Um, but we like to have open dialogue on mm -hmm. understanding is and to to outside looking in, some people might think like, oh, they always want to be right, oh, they always want to debate this and that. Mm -hmm. But in the in the basis of it, we truly just want to learn from other people. We want our ideas challenged. That's why we put them out there. We don't do it to to say that this is the only way to think. We do it for the backlash so we can grow and learn. You know, mm -hmm. if we hung around people that agree with us all day, we wouldn't. There's no prog there's no progress in that anywho. So mm -hmm. with real with real nonsense. Oh man, we got into some deep some deep conversations. Even about even about Jay Z, man. That's one of the most heated debates we had. I have to go back and, and listen to that. When I saw, I know you guys talk a lot about hip hop and the industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it came, it came from Jay-Z starting in the streets. And the big debate was, is Jay-Z a drug dealer or is he a rapper? And my stance on it was Jay-Z is a businessman. He's a businessman. He's a, he's mm -hmm. a businessman, an opportunist, a capitalist, whatever you want to call him. But he's, he's not no a, different than, he's no different than these um, the Pfizer people. I mean, how's he any different? I mean, how, how are we going to hold that against him? You know, he's just trying to make a living. You know. Yeah. What they, mm -hmm. what I always say, man. If you're not, if you're not out selling Walgreens or CVS, you don't run a block. Let's, let's be clear. <laughs> if you're not out selling Walgreens in your neighborhood, you're not running the block. <laughs> so, man. Yeah, those, those are great conversations, though. That on that platform, uh, I miss those. You know what I'm saying? But. Conversations like this are very similar where we can throw out ideas. We both want to stand on what we believe in and, and challenge each other. You mm -hmm. know, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, and I want to say that, man, I 100% support all your endeavors. Um, I didn't you. want to come across earlier as um, being combative or anything. It's more so um, I punch up always. It's always um, the system itself that I sort of have issues with, but the people themselves, they, everyone has to find their own way. But, uh, but, but I will say as far as um, black liberation, my views towards the end um, and your views towards the end, it'll kind of come at full circle what I was getting at earlier about why I'm frustrated with the, those kind of people that are up top and how I feel like if things were a different way, maybe we would see a lot more progress um, being made you know, in the black communities when we talk about black liberation, I wanted to touch you um, a little bit on um, your experience with um, Olivet Nazarene. You said that um, overall, would you say it was a positive experience? Ooh, it was it was a growing experience. And I, I went through some, I, I can put it all out there. I, I was suspended from Olivet 
um, I wasn't I wasn't doing what I needed to do. I was following the wrong crowd in a way, um, kind of doing my own thing. And I was I was very, very rebellious to all of it. You know, so in hindsight, I could have done a better job at fitting in. But what did we start this conversation as? I'm a misfit. You know what I'm saying? So Olivet, man, it was a place where they did want you to truly conform to who they were. Mm. Um, and if you didn't fit who they were, they ousted you. Mm-hmm. I'm being completely honest. If you didn't fit who they were, <clears throat> they either physically ousted you by removing you from the school or ostracized you to the way that you felt like you didn't belong there. So people who didn't fit who they were, Mm -hmm. they weren't included within the community and they weren't, the student body and the staff weren't shy to make you feel like you weren't included in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, When I first came in as a freshman, there were minimal black folks, but as I grew through the school, going to senior year, my fifth year there, there were more and more black folks, but it was all based on a grant. You know, and I've I've heard this. I've I've heard this from firsthand sources, third third hand sources. There was a grant involved where they were giving money to underprivileged youth and communities to come to the school. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been I've been talking twenty four hours straight, but they were using this grant money for you know individuals who couldn't necessarily get to the school, and they had a high risk of leaving. But the school got to keep the money, obviously, after the grant was paid out. So. Mm. It seemed like they were taking these high risk on all these individuals, bringing them in in waves from Chicago, from, you know, other other, you know, underprivileged communities, wherever they were bringing them from. But they weren't fully disclosing Kiko. They weren't fully disclosing who they were. So a lot of these kids came to the school with complete culture shock. You can't drink. You can't smoke. Zero tolerance. Why why is that? Is it religious? It's their Nazarene school. Mm. So it, the thing is, I and when I first started to get wind of this and get wave of this, I was disgusted by what was going on because as I grew through that school, I would see these kids come from Southside Chicago, come from certain areas in Kankakee, come from Peoria, come from Gary, wherever they were from, and they were all being brought to the school in waves, and they were completely culture shocked at the actual rules and the structure of the school. So I'm talking about zero tolerance. Um, you know, it's a college, but drinking, smoking, uh, curfews, you know, curfews for freshmen, especially in the upperclassmen too. You had to be in your room at, I think, midnight during the week and one o'clock on the weekend. Was so, it you know, segregated by sex? It was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no co, no co-dorms, yeah. anything. Uh, males and females completely separate away from each other as far as dormitories. You could not go into a woman's room. She could not come into your room. They had, wow. what was it called? Open door hours or something of that nature where mm-hmm. it was like 7, 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. I think a couple of days during the week, you could have the opposite sex in your room, but the door had to be open. Your wow. feet had to be on the floor. Like this is what, but they didn't disclose any of this to probably 80 to 90% of the people that they were giving these grants and scholarships out to. These people were coming to this environment getting ostracized or physically literally kicked out of the school because they weren't hip to what they were getting into. So mm. my distaste with Olivet comes from that. I had my own situation where I made some wrong choices and got suspended, ended up coming back and getting my degree. And I'm thankful and blessed for that. But what they did to so many people, so many 
you know, friends, peers um, that I saw go through that and get ousted out of the school. I, I have, I just have a, a serious distaste in my mouth for it um, because that's no different than the capitalist society that we live in. Like they, they were looking at these kids as nothing but numbers. They knew they had to get mm. a certain number of people to get this grant, to get this scholarship from the government or whoever the hell they were getting it from. Mm. They filled those numbers and let the kids go at the first time that they didn't align with what they believed in. So, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I definitely got a distaste in my mouth for the school. I'm thankful that I got my paperwork from them. And I, you know, I put that on, on applications when I need to, or I'll brandish it when I need to in certain environments, but y'all know y'all wrong. <laughs> if I can say that publicly. But see, I feel like that about UT Knoxville. And I'm going to say this. Um, I want to apologize to a lot of my friends that I went to UT with, like my colleagues, especially. Um, I've never shared this with a lot of people before, but I say that I say that with less than a third of the people in that whole department, I actually showed the true Kiko who he was. Mm. Um, and those people know who they are um, because I've had private conversations with those people um, about this particular topic. Um, I guess the code word would be, um, you are on the journey with me, you know, in this PhD program. And so that's kind of the code that I have with people who were, they had my back the whole time when I was at UT, like we did the journey together and those people know who they are. That's all I'll say about that. But, um, I got to you, man, it was a pretty messed up experience from a master's to the grad only because, um, I think the way the university sees us, and I'm talking about black people, especially, I can't speak for anybody else. This diversity word is used too much. Diversity is used too much. Mm. Uh, there's a, I just take a thousand people, even if it's 30 black people, that's still 970 fucking people who aren't like you visually. They don't look like you per se. And I don't wanna hear this about, oh, and, we're all the same. No, it, no, it's, no, we're not. We're not all the same. Our experiences are the same. I don't feel the same when I'm on campus and I'm there, you know, we're all educated. I still don't feel the same there. I'm going across the pedestrian walk there and it's just like a sea full of white people. I'm not even lying. That that's It's, it's like I'm talking, I'm having three conversations with myself when I'm walking and it's mm. just a sea full of white people. But then it's like, I click on the front page of UT Nelson's website and they have a black person, an Asian person, a Middle Eastern person. I'm like, get yeah. the fuck out of here with that shit. Because when I'm on campus, it's not like that at all. And then you have the issue with, goddamn, the football team. It's like they get their own university to themselves, the football team. that athletics departments have their own university. And it's just the rest of us. We're just all here doing our thing. And these motherfuckers are making the money for the university. People go through this stuff. And then just imagine being a black football player that doesn't necessarily have those views like the rest of the university life. Mm. I don't think a lot of people consider that for a black person in general, when they're at a school like UT Knoxville, that's advertises this diverse state school, public school, it's a flagship school. You know, everyone goes to UT Knoxville, big orange, bleed orange, but it's really, man, it's, when you get there on campus, it's not really like that. And when you're in a foreign language department, when you're one black person out of 200 people, 
in a department. It's like it's 15 of y'all and it's 185 other people. It's just not, it, it doesn't yeah. feel comfortable. And when your politics don't align, you even feel more distance, you know? And so what message has really been sold to you once you get to that environment? Kind of going to what you were saying. Yeah, not I have a perfect, a perfect answer for that. And Olivet's mantra, Olivet's quote of the, this is what they say is, we believe you belong here. Now think about everything I just said. They, <laughs> that's what they preach. We believe you belong here. And their site is the same way where you see just the different nationalities all displayed over the site. And I was a, I was, I was a victim of it. Two instances, my senior year, as I was going out of the school, there was a big job fair convention where you know, I went in, I wasn't suited up, but I had my dress shirt on, nice pants, nice shoes. And I was in a very deep conversation with a gentleman from, I think it was a bank or whoever, an insurance company, whoever it was. And we were in very deep dialogue and someone caught a picture of it, uh, campus photography. That picture was used to advertise the next job fair. So I was on the, on the website and on the job fair, little brochure in this deep conversation, you know, two, two black men in deep conversation at that displayed on Olivet's job fair little brochure ad and I took a little offense to it I'm like y'all don't even like us like that second instance <laughs> I'm on stage walking across the stage I shook the president's hand and I remember that moment after going through what I went through to come back into school get my paperwork and graduate I remember that moment like I remember that handshake I stopped I looked at his eye shook his hand and it was an impactful moment for me that picture once again was captured and it was used in like the post-grad little Olivet advertisements and it was in the yearbook it was in the yearbook and this and that and it was just like I didn't have that type of experience at Olivet where I should be used in these in these advertisements and public you know mm -hmm. propaganda posts and all this stuff and it was just another another just distasteful moment for me where I'm just like damn 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 Olivet man <laughs> damn Olivet strikes again yeah it's um but see, that kind of goes into the conversation we had with uh, Margaret Kimberly, um, which is episode five, I believe. It's crazy. I don't even know what damn episodes I have now. It seems like I just keep pumping them out. But Margaret yeah, Kimberly, Black Agenda Report, we were talking about these Black faces in high places. You know, I was saying that, mm -hmm. I was telling her that Obama, Kamala Harris, these kind of people, this this is what Blackface is now. Like, I... And people think it's a joke. Uh, well, you know, I told you about that on the last episode we did that I did on there on your platform where I doubted most of my friends even listen to it because it's too much for them to take in. At the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you go back and listen to that shit now, like, oh, gosh, like maybe he was on to something. Man, fuck the trends. It's like, just say what's on your mind. And it's just like, honestly, dude, fuck these people. It's just... I'm tired of being used by them, the, the symbols, and it's just, and I think that's what you kind of realize too, even with the Black Lives Matter movement, is just, I mean, what have we gotten since George Floyd was murdered? We got some Confederate statues taken down, we got some shit wrote down on the streets, but what did Black people really get back in return? There was no uh, police return, there was no police reform, like what, what happened after that? substantially i guess from a substance standpoint for black people i think it's going to take time to see that but i do think there was some internal 
because of the trauma that we saw, like with our face, I do think there was some internal type of movement where people decided from that point, I'm going to be free, you know, and there's, it's not all public, you know what I'm saying? I'm being kind of loud. Can you hear that in the background? Can you hear that in the background? Is that too loud? No, you good. You good. Ah, for sure. That's a good mic. But it might not be as public as as I think it is so far, as far as the movements that we're having underground in the Black community. But, man, I ain't going to lie to you, man. I think 20 years from now, it's going to be a new landscape. And I think it's going to be overwhelming for America to see what's actually happening right now, like within, within some of the Black business spaces, within some of the Black social spaces within the HBCU community, I think it's gonna be overwhelming for America to a certain point where there's gonna be a revolt. Um, I'm gonna call it what it is. The poor, the poor white man is gonna to start to be very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable when it's not the rap star anymore. It's not, it's not the ball player anymore that's walking around confidently, chin up, chest up, knowing who he can be. It's the black businessman, it's the black lawyer, it's the black politician to a certain point. It's the black preacher. Um, I got aunties, I got parents, I got elders who I look up to within our community who are kind of still living in the past, are kind of still living in the fear and the mantra that we can't, but I can, I can speak for my generation because I'm around them and I'm connected to them and I work with them and I move with them. We are over it, man. Like. I'm 27 years old, man, and I can tell you there's people six years younger than me, eight years younger than me that are teaching me, like teaching me paths to freedom, um, teaching me mindset, teaching me mental, emotional intelligence, teaching me spirituality, teaching me to not eat certain foods and to eat other certain foods. There's a, there's a true movement happening among young Black people in this country that mm -hmm. is going to scare a lot of people um and we don't speak about it that's why i don't i don't necessarily promote my podcast as much as i used to because mm -hmm. it's like the people who are aligned on our path are going to come and do what we do and make the impact and the ones who aren't won't you know it's the people who are within these spaces are almost past the point of trying to coerce people to think like us because that's not our goal our goal is individual freedom and we find the people who have those same similar goals and we move with them mm -hmm. um so if i can say if i can sum that up man they talk bad about millennials or they try to but if i want to blank use that blanket term black millennials black 20 somethings young 30 somethings young 20 somethings i'm telling you man it's, it's some it's some hitters out there man young bulls like i'm talking 18 20 years old like we're shaking, we're shaking the ground right now. And 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I think we're gonna see some fruits, man. And I don't think, and I'll go back to America not existing in a hundred years. I don't think America's gonna be cool with it. And I think there's gonna be some type of revolt and some type of separation where things are gonna get interesting. <laughs> things okay. are gonna be very interesting. I'm glad you brought this up. I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit about that. We're concluding about the next 20, if that's okay with you. For sure. I um I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, I didn't think we were going to bring the R word into this, which <laughs> I always get excited when people bring this word into things. But um, 
I don't think it's a whimsical fantasy. I think it's something that's going to happen. Mm. The question is how the method of it. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be done in, in a civil way. I think it's almost impossible for it to be done in a civil way, um, especially with the way people are discouraging dialogues like this. It's going to have to be organized to the point where we are able to open dialogue. It can't be closed off. It has to be mm. open dialogue um, for yeah. it to work out, I think. But we may be talking about two different types of revolutions. I, I, I think um, my thing is this. I, I can see that conflict with, because you use poor white man as a reference. My, rev, my idea of a revolution would involve the poor people together to, mm. in different capacities, not the same capacities. Um, because if you're reaching different kinds of people, you have to have different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. You can't have the same kind of person. And that's kind of what this forum is about. We we try to reach, we we fuck the, we we say fuck the establishment. So how do we fuck the establishment back? We have to get different kinds of people dialoguing to attack it from different ways. We can't attack it from one angle. We have to attack it from six angles. Let me I mean, let me rewind, let me rewind it too. When I say when I say poor mind, when I say poor white man. And when I use the word poor, I'm talking mindset. Mindset, right. And when right. I when I say when I say poor white man, what I'm really referring to is the great, the make America great again thumpers, the people who truly think that, and when I say poor, I'm truly talking about mindset. These mm-hmm. are the white men who truly, truly, truly think that white people are superior. And I don't even speak on. What's what's the phrase? White superiority, white white supremacy. I don't even speak on white supremacy because that gives it the power that it just. We have to think about the words we use. We talked about the United States. Those two words don't make sense. When we speak on white supremacy, that's giving them the power directly. Our tongues matter. If we say white supremacy, it means they are supreme. Mm, okay. So when I speak of the poor white mindset. I pity them, quite honestly. I I pity them. I pity any any black person, honestly, who thinks that we're the ultimate superior. It's, it's I pity anyone who thinks that they're above another human being because of the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. I think that's a poor mindset to live by. So those type of people, when they see when they see black people, when they see young black entrepreneurs, young black thinkers, young black creators start to come into their own and be true to themselves. That's going to scare the hell out of them <laughs> when they see that when they see that the young black kid, the the strong black man is no longer fearful of their society, of their way of thinking. That's going to scare the hell out of them to the point that they're going to want to revolt. I don't know I in think, what way, but I feel like they're going to want to revolt. See, I, I believe I believe that um, I believe that the misfit label that we used earlier doesn't just apply to us. Mm. I believe that. um. And I also don't, I believe that the umbrella is a lot wider than what you're painting as far as the poor white person. Hmm. I think I'm attacking the professional white class more than the MAGA Trumpers because those are the people who I have more proximity to. Because when you talk about going up the ladder scale or poor white Trumpers, really the people who are keeping us back, when we keep going up a ladder, those yeah. are not the people I interact with. In mindset, in mindset, because 
when I say poor, let's let's completely disband poor from financial status. There's mm-hmm. poor, there's people with a poor white man's mindset who are in positions to hire people, who are in positions to make ultimate decisions. So mm-hmm. if they automatically look at a black candidate for a position as less than, mm-hmm. I believe they align with that poor white mindset. And I, I in the future, I'll do a better job explaining. No, 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 you don't have to do that. No, I, I, I just, yeah. um, I'm just trying to understand because, um, so, so what would that make a person like a Candace Owens? I mean, she, she, that's what I'm saying. I mean, she's, because you seem to have like respect. I don't agree. I, I, I didn't go into what I think about her, but what I was referencing her was with the Cardi B situation. I respect I Candace you. Owens because she speaks her mind. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? What I say about Candace Owens is she speaks her mind. Now it's her, do I believe in not agreeing with all of her right. know, methods, terminology, et cetera, and the fact that she's pro-Black, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, mm-hmm. I do have some questions about Candace Owens. I would love to interview Candace Owens. That would be amazing. But mm-hmm. Candace Owens still, in a way, strikes me as a Jay-Z. By your, by your exactly. you know what I'm saying, that same type of, how is she able to speak so brashly about these things, but still remain protected in a way? And she's, she's a student. And she's married outside of, it just, it don't add up. It don't add up, I'll be honest with you. So mm-hmm. I, I still have a lot of questions about Candace Owens, if I'm being completely mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I talked to um, a candidate, and I wonder, I mean, it's not really protecting the anonymity much, but this person's running for public office currently. And we talked about a lot of deep stuff off camera. And we talked about that, um, the whole, the interracial versus, um, you know, black love. We Kind of like what you talked about in your previous um, rendition of Black Voice. Mm-hmm. And um, I was making the case that it's, it's a mindset more so than the visuals. Like people get too caught up in the visuals. It's like, I mean, love versus Virginia, 1967, made interracial marriage legal. Interracial marriage was always going to be a thing regardless of how people feel about it. Yeah. Same-sex marriage is always going to be here regardless of how people feel about it. So it's kind of like, like, what are you going to do about that? Or are you just going to keep pushing forward with whatever you got going? It doesn't make, you know, me less black because I decided to go that way or, but, but, but I definitely understand where there's divergences of thought because you have some people who think that Stand all black is the way to do it, you know, to mobilize the power. Some people think there has to be multi-racial coalition building. Um, mine will be more a multi-mindset coalition mm. with whoever wants to join it. It's like if you down, I'm down with you. I don't give a fuck who it is. If if you if you're for student loan cancellation of debt, I'll fucking ride with you. I don't give a fuck if you're a Nazi. If you're a black panther, I don't give a fuck who you are. Like, if if you want to get this goal accomplished with me, let's do it together. Fuck the bullshit, mm. you know. Like that's, but but that's so many different ways you can go with that. Like, I definitely get that. Um, but I want to kind of get what you want, what you mean by black liberation. You kind of spoke on it some, and I like the part where you talked about the young black professional class. Um, what what do you view as far as black liberation? What does that mean to you? 
and how do we get from point A to point B? Black liberation starts with knowledge, I believe. It starts with knowledge and community, point blank. So I, I do want to speak on Candace Owens too. A big problem I have with, with her likes and her types is it's not that, and I agree with you, it's not about being all Black, but we have to be careful with those who disassociate themselves from Black, mm -hmm. who see Black as disgust, who see Black as less than, because these mm -hmm. are the people that are impacted by the whole mantra of America. And when Candace and her, I don't want to keep using her name, but when those types speak, when they say, when they refer to the Black culture as they, them, when they say Black people, it's it's not a, it's not even always about the word you say, it's how you say it. When they say mm -hmm. Black people in a distasteful type of manner, it's like, okay, you know who you're speaking of mm -hmm. and you know who you, we know who you are portraying, even if you don't even know it yourself. So it's like when people disassociate themselves with black people, those are the type of people that I like to watch out for. Cause it's like, what, what really are you standing on? Mm -hmm. um, what really are you standing on? You it's like saying? that version of code switching. It's, um, but see, that's what I try to tell people. Obama did the same shit, but people don't say it. Like the shit he said, if you go back to some of his interviews and it, the shit that he says now, fuck, no one checks people like Obama. It's like, he's untouchable. Yeah. But he says the same shit where when these people were protesting in the streets, like he had made these comments, like he says something about the black man, like he basically shit on the black <clears throat> nuclear family. Like the he made a Father's Day comment about how like it's a shame all these black fathers aren't in their family's lives. And I'm like, why the fuck didn't somebody check this motherfucker for saying some shit like that? You know, because mm. that would have been anybody else, they would have been checked left and right. But it's fucking Barack Obama. It's like, oh, deaf ears. And he says this shit all the time, very slick ways, though. And mm. he just does it in his way. But you're right, Candace Owens does. She's very, like, domineering. And she says this, like, in a condescending kind of way about black people. I'm like, like yeah. did you just hear what you said then? Like, I don't care what the intent is. It's like, it's just the way you say it. Yeah. Like, Not going, going to what you were saying. Yeah, I think I think black liberation involves checking people like that and not letting people get away with saying shit just because they look like us. If they're disrespecting mm -hmm. you, yeah. check them. If it if it doesn't align with the truth, we have to check them. Um, black liberation is happening as we speak, man. Um, I truly believe that black liberation in America is happening to the point that America won't exist. It won't. America wasn't designed for black liberators. It wasn't designed for free black people. And there's gonna be such a collection of people that align with similar mindsets of freedom that things are gonna to have to change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> things are going to have to change. Like there's no other way. I can't see it happening any other way. When you see waves and droves of black people choosing to be free and taking paths necessary to make that a reality, it's just going to scare some people, man. It's going to scare some people. It's going to scare Black people, too. It's going to scare Black people, too, because the Black people who don't want to be free are going to be just as scared as the white people who don't want us to be free. It's mm -hmm. new information for everyone, um, but it's happening. So. But see, that's what I, I agree with you, um, that there is this massive underground movement where, um, and I think that this has to involve politics, too. It can't just be because political mindset is psychological. Yeah. It's part of the programming. And so 
And I believe, like I said, this system, once people break away from it, when I see people doing that, that gives me hope. It mm. gives me hope, but we have to keep going with it. And that's just one way. Me personally, I think that I think that the reparations discussion has to be a part of this because you can't talk about reparations without talking about money, without talking about education, without talking about health care, anything really when you talk about is it something that should be pursued? And I personally think it should be pursued. Should it be mm -hmm. the only thing? No. Reparations to me isn't a handout. You seem to you seem to also think that we acknowledge the injustices in history. So okay, let's correct those injustices. Is it mm. going to be corrected with just a paycheck? No. But reparations, I think, has to mean more than just money. It has mm. to mean more than just money. I think if you present it that way, people would be more on board with it. You know, black people, obviously. Um, I think me, me personally, I think the initial move needs to be the, the government has to acknowledge the original sin, Oof. which isn't just the Native American, the raping of the Native American people, but mm. it's also the raping of the black people. Like, I think th that has to be done first. So we, we have to have yeah. an official apology. And then I think as an initial commitment to that cause, each black person should get at least $25,000 just as an initial IOU. And then after that, we can talk about what programs can we put into place to help these people. And maybe, maybe, maybe reparations is something, maybe reparations is having someone with, with the gall and the guts of a Jay-Z mm. that can build black networks in those communities to where we do have mom and pop black businesses mom and pop banks mom and pop um business commerce you know locally you know where we don't even need the national um i guess help if, if something happens because we have self-sustainability there yeah. i think th that would be my initial view of black liberation just from an economical standpoint but also um just the initial acknowledgement that okay, the United States version of history is not the right version. We need to we need to grow out of the fucking 1776 version of that. Yeah, I I agree with you almost wholeheartedly. Okay. Um, when I said I don't I don't see America coming, I see America splitting more realistically than it coming together. And what's the most the saddest part about that is that all it would take is addressing the original sin. So I agree with you 100%. There has to be a president, there has to be a, a promoted press conference. Uh, we're doing this on this day to address this issue. The president is gonna speak on the origins of America and how black people came to this country and the, the death and destruction that we brought to that culture. That has to be addressed. And that has to be followed up with some type of compensation advantage reparation that has to be followed up with that and i was going to challenge you on that too because a lot of people speak about reparations but what's the real number you know what's if we're talking financial reparation what's the number so twenty-five thousand. um i think that's too low if i'm being completely no, no, honest no, but it, like i said it this is just an initial this is this is a this is basically a handshake like this is an agreement like 
okay, that you're even on board with the platform. This would be mm -hmm. like, okay, I'll take you seriously if you at least commit to this. I think the issue with that though is okay. that the number is so, I mean, the number is it's infinite what they owe, what they owe the black this. body. You know what I'm saying? This. Like it's we should get a, a, a damn million dollar credit line per person. Like mm -hmm. it's infinite what they owe the black mm -hmm. body. So it's so hard to attach a number to it. Small difficulty with it. No, I totally get it. No, and and like I said, I've done interviews with um John Gower and Near Dark Radio and David Mills. He was gracious enough. Like I talked to David Mills. He wrote a piece. He had a book that get, got released not too long ago about the GDP worth of black people and how much we put into the whole slaveocracy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, basically, our worth was like as much as other countries' GDPs, you know, combined. You know, that's how much, you know, we produce for this bullshit you know, servitude system that we went under for so many years. But um, th that there's lots of publications on this. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with Black, the, the contract of Black America, Ice Cube. Um, mm. This is more commercial, though. These are more commercial examples of what we're talking about. But um, no, I agree. $25,000 is very low. But I guess my point is that offering within this capitalistic system that we have now, we're not even getting that commitment. The mm. only thing that we have now that, that it's not even in the same galaxy, the HR 40, just so people know that Sheila Jackson Lee is proposing in Texas is a bullshit bill. It's a bullshit bill. It's a study. Everyone wants to fucking study marijuana, cannabis legalization. Everyone wants to study reparations. Motherfuckers, there's nothing to study. We mm. know that we're old money. There's nothing to study. That's just a way to keep this shit delayed as long as possible until we can talk about something else that overshadows black concerns. That's what yeah. they do. That's what the ruling class does to us. Going to your point, though, I agree. A million would be more in line with what realistically should be implemented for each person would be a million dollars. And it's not that they can't do it. They can do it. They they can justify everything else. There's not a lot of us in this country. I mean, mm. we're 14% of the population. They can do it. We can send billions of dollars to fund wars every year. We can sure as hell help our own people here on U.S. soil. Yeah, I agree. Will it happen, though? <laughs> Realistically. But, but like I said, can we even get the initial commitment? I doubt it. I doubt it because it would... Mm until we disband the constitution no i don't think so do we need i guess my question for you would be do, do we even need um a reparations package to move forward as a people no and what's i think reparations is almost a counterproductive conversation because of that fact i would rather have conversations about building tables that's that's what i stand on and mm -hmm. when we talk reparations it almost sets us back 50 years, 100 years. Um, it just is it's, it's making us think backwards instead of forwards when it's all, okay. when it's all said and done. Um, okay. But to, to speak on a little bit just of our value and how much we brought to the country, I know we're kind of wrapping up here, but I'll leave you with this. And this is something I, I might want your help on in the future. I have a theory um, 
that could be a dissertation. It could be a book. It could be a book with multiple volumes. Oh, it could be a movie. <laughs> but Black people are the gold standard, are the new gold standard. We talk about the dollar being, the gold standard being stripped from the dollar. We talk about HBCUs and the value that Black people brought to these PWIs. We talk about the media space and what Black people do in media and how they use us as puppets. Mm. We attach ourselves to any damn thing. Twitter, Clubhouse, the podcast industry, the music industry, sports, labor. You know, it, when we attach Black people to any damn thing, we are the gold standard and we control the media. We just realize that ourselves internally it'd be a whole of a lot better situation. They they know it. That's why they use us. That's why they use us in certain ways. That's why they open up these platforms and market them to our community so we can use them and make them money. They know we're the gold standard. We just don't damn know it. And it goes back to the, the origins of the body. Where is gold found? You know, where where is gold physically found? You know, it, we we are the gold standard. And I think, we just have to wake up and realize it to sum it up, man. I think the people in my generation, myself and younger, I will say, I will keep speaking on this. There's movers and shakers that are younger than me that are teaching me to this day. Like the people that are younger than myself are, they're showing that, man. We're the gold standard. We got to realize it internally. We got to learn more about ourselves. We got to get back attached to the spirits that, that we are. You know what I'm saying? Get out of this human mindset, all of this media stuff, all of this collection stuff, physical stuff, cars galore, chains, all this bullshit. Just, just drop it all, man. Start learning about the origins of ourselves. Get back to the roots of Africa, to the motherland of where we originally came from. Get back connected with God. Get back connected to the spirit. And ignore all the bullshit. Simple as that. I appreciate the closing, man. Um, speaking on the spirituality part, I'm actually going to get some people on to sort of um, bring in the Afro-diasporic experience because I tell a lot of people, we connect, we disconnect ourselves from other black people in Latin America, Africa, Caribbean, and it's done on purpose. It, it's mm. um, the attitudes both ways now. Um, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how um, people, the people in this African continent view black Americans here and all this is very complicated, but, um, it's been done on purpose to sort of um, paint people a different way, but the reality is this: Black Americans aren't blacks on the subcontinent of Af on, on the continent of Africa. That experience was taken away from us. I mean, what are we supposed to do about that? I mean, we're still searching those pieces, like you're saying. We're searching for those roots, um, the Santeria, the Voodoo, uh, the Candomblé in Brazil. Um, all those shun, all the different, the different orishas in Latin America, the Caribbean, they were brought over from Nigeria, um, Yoruba land, the, the Bantu tribes, like that, that's mm. our culture. That's our real culture. Yeah. But there's no connection at all. And even as an atheist, I respect that because I know that that's my heritage and stuff. Like I know that that spiritual system, that's what kept our ancestors you know, surviving East Day. Like, I get that. So how do we go from the Orishas in Nigeria to um, Catholicism, Southern Baptist, 
white Christianity? How do we go from that to this, you know? And that's what I'm saying, you know, it's just, there's so many different ways you can look at it, mm. but hopefully on this forum and your forum as well, we can sort of merge the two together and learn, you know, generationally um, how black people are really navigating through the world, you know, spiritually, non-spiritually and um, globally, financially, economically and psychologically. Yeah, absolutely. And it's about soaking up information, man. It's about continuing to learn and continuing to search and not, not, you can get rabbit hole, you know, territory when you start <laughs> to look into certain things, definitely. But um, at least just, at least just making an attempt to, uh, making an attempt at wisdom, you know, uh, making an attempt at growth, making an attempt at change, unless you are completely comfortable with the things happening around you and in your own life, you know, but if you, if you're not cool with it, man, just stand up, make a change, start smacking some people in the face every now and then. <laughs> Sometimes it's necessary, man. I tell you what, man, I appreciate this conversation. I feel like down the road, we're going to need each other more than ever. Um, and we will. It's, it, I think the problem with echo chambers is that, like, whether I have different intentions than you or whatever, I think we both have, I think we both have very good intentions. And I think that that's enough that we have in common to where we can get a lot done. So, so let's build on what we can get done like right now. You know, what we can do is educate ourselves. We can pick up a book and read that book and soak in as much information as possible, you know, and, and we kind of get to our own conclusions, but we can both agree that we can get that information shared together, talk to each other, not hate on each other. And, um, and promote, you know, what you, what you got going on because I know you're a good person, um, just based on our conversations, and and that's what we need to do. Just spread that throughout the community, you know, and just see where it goes. Sure, for sure. Where Definitely, man. You, man. Where can people reach you if they want to get in contact with with you? For sure. As far as social media, I'm on J Clark Real on all platforms. Uh, R E E L at the end. So J Clark Real on all social media platforms. That's the easiest way to get in contact with me. Uh, if we get into like any type of business and dollars or whatever that is, we'll get deeper into it. But uh, Jay Clark Real, the easiest way to reach me. Yeah, for sure, man. I, I like um, the fact that you can come at things at your angle. And I love that the podcasting, it feels like it, it, the podcasting space feels very liberating. Yeah, and The fact definitely. that you can just, you know, have your own platform. You know, yeah. how liberating is that? You know, you can express yourself i mean this has been like a therapeutic session for me man like that was, <laughs> i was so damn depressed man in the phd program and my wife she she was there with me during the depressive stages man it's you know it, it takes a toll on you you the family everyone's going through it everyone can feel it but man having this out just being able to talk about things like real life shit not this crazy fabricated pop culture stuff all the time it's just, man, they're real people that have emotions and just to be able to share this, you know, and reach millions of people, it, it makes me feel good. And I know it makes you feel good, too. Oh, hell yeah. That's love, man. That's that's what I like to do, man. Um, I like to be a light. I like to learn. I like to hear people's ideas and just make people feel good, bro. And it doesn't even involve, you know, complimenting them necessarily it's just hearing them out and listening and being mm -hmm. attentive to what they're saying and being able to bounce ideas off each other so mm -hmm. it's like i love i love these too man that's why i'm in the podcast space that's why i love public speaking 
connecting with other people, sharing ideas. It's so liberating, man. It's it's truly freedom when you can just get on these platforms and speak and not have to align to certain principles and have people tell you how to speak. That's why I couldn't survive in corporate, man. I ain't want to, I couldn't be that guy, man. You, <laughs> I couldn't be that guy. You know, I just, I talk a certain way. I move a certain way. You know, I, I just couldn't conform, but I appreciate you having me though. I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, me too, man. And and just for the audience, man, I definitely, I got kind of riled up early, man. I don't know. It's just, I get so, man, emotional, with, especially with these fucking political slime balls, man. I just get so <laughs> damn emotional, man, I swear. And I need to, I need to, I don't need to tone it down, but it's just like I need to redirect it maybe in a different way because I'm learning through this podcast experience too. You know, I try to get my guests more to platform. I don't want to be the one talking most of the time. And I feel like with you, at, at times, like I definitely didn't allow you to blossom, maybe. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I, I think it's because I'm more intimate, you know, with our conversations that we had in the past. Yeah, and that's why that's why we can have these. Man, Kiko, we can talk for hours, man. I ain't going to lie. But that's, why we, <laughs> that's why we have these long, longer conversations, man. I always appreciate them. I appreciate learning from you. I appreciate picking your mind, man. And, yeah, we're aligned, brother. So we're gonna do some work in the future for sure. Some okay, man. Some more. Hell work yeah, in the man. Future. Um, solidarity, man. See you later. Have a great day, beautiful people. We have Tyler King coming up next um, to discuss a lot of different issues. Um, very much a, a pop culture thing. Joe Rogan, um, Jimmy Dore, some of these podcasters that are big now, mm. and um, sort of what they're talking about. He's someone that's actually going to come live in person. And then following him, we have Jared Ball, who's also going to make an appearance on Kiko's Free Thinkers Forum and talk about HBCU, talk about his book some. So we have a lot of cool guests down the road. Please watch our other episodes too. And um, subscribe to us on all platforms, Spotify, Radio Public, um, Anchor, Apple, Google, all these different platforms. But salute to everyone. And cheers. Blessings.